Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. What's the first brand you remember as a little girl having an impact on you? Oh my gosh, you're going to laugh. Pepsi. Really? <laughs> I wish I had the picture to show you. There is a picture that my father has in his office and I'm holding a glass Pepsi bottle. Um, and I'm like, you know, getting ready to drink it. And my father has it. And he always thought it was lovely and serendipitous that I ended up going to work for PepsiCo. Oh my gosh, isn't that crazy that I ended up working there? But that's probably the first brand that I really, really remember. So your husband guessed that you would have said Nito. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. Today, my guest on the CMO podcast is Carla Hassan, the brand new chief marketing officer of Citi, the financial services giant founded in 1812 with $75 billion in revenue and about 200,000 employees. Carla has been with Citi since 2017 as the chief brand officer and was recently named CMO when the bank merged its branding and marketing functions, which we will talk about on this podcast. Carla previously served as CMO at Toys R Us and spent 13 years at PepsiCo and seven years at Kellogg's. Carla is a champion for girls, for brand purpose, and a lover of travel. We'll get into travel and Carla's many other passions. This is my conversation with Carla Hassan. Welcome, Carla, to the CMO podcast and congratulations, the new city CMO. So happy to have you on as you're just promoted and... You were promoted about the time City named its first woman CEO, Jane Fraser. Did you two celebrate in any interesting or unusual way during COVID? <laughs> we 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 didn't. Well, we we uh, we did celebrate over a, over a phone call. I am a huge fan of Jane's uh, ever since I met her a couple of years ago. I just, and I'm so thrilled for her. I really, really am thrilled for her. And I'm, I'm honored to be working for her and alongside her. And, uh, and, you know, look, I, I think this is just one of those times when you just are really proud to, to work at the company that you work at, right? Because the, 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 um, the, the fact that we are putting our values to action by, you know, by, by appointing Jane, the CEO of the company is just such a huge, huge nod to the, the wonderful leader that she is, the great accomplishments that she's had. And then also the values we have as a company around diversity and inclusion. I couldn't be more thrilled. I couldn't be more thrilled. 
We're going to get into that later, but did you do any celebration with your family or friends? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's funny. I actually, uh, back to your first question about whether I celebrated with Jane. So my announcement came out, I, I believe it was on publicly on Wednesday, and then hers was on Thursday. And I wanted to email her and, and say, wait, you, you couldn't give me 24 hours to like celebrate? <laughs> I, I just I, I I thought that wouldn't be the right thing to do, but anyway, uh, she would have loved, she would have gotten a kick out of it if I had actually said that. You know, we did celebrate at home. We have a 13 year old, um, and you know, I think for her, it was a moment of pride. In fact, I'll tell you, um, the the week before that, we were driving in the car. I was with her, and I um, and I saw the note that came out um, the, pre- the the note that came out to to the company about my promotion, and I. Uh, I kind of choked up a little bit and I handed her the phone and she said, mama, what's wrong? And I said, nothing's wrong, Nora. I said, sometimes, you know, your life, you know, things happen in your life in a good way after, you know, you've worked so hard. And I, I handed her the the phone and she read it. And, you know, she said, she just kind of looked at me and she said, you know, mama, I am really proud of you. And that was, you know, that Aww. honestly enough celebration for me. I mean, obviously we've got another marketer in the household who was also uh, very, very happy for me. So we just kind of had it a real a quiet um you know celebration at home yeah it's a sweet story what 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 was it about the letter that uh moved you you know i think uh, we all work so hard right i mean we all we just work so hard and some days we you know we slug it out and and leadership is hard and marketing is hard and uh you know i've you know, I've had ups and downs in my career. I mean, I, you know, started off at Kellogg's and at PepsiCo and I took very traditional consumer packaged goods marketing routes. And I kind of knew really where I was headed. And then I decided to the one time in my life that I actually made a, took a risk in my career. It was such a public failure. Right. And so for me, it took a little bit of time for me to get over That's when you went to Toys R Us. That's when I went to Toys R Us. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I would not change it for the world. It has opened up so many doors for me and it has taught me so much about the kind of leader I want to be and the kind of team I want to be around and the kind of, you know, the way I want to, I want to sort of lead teams and and drive visions. But I'll I'll say it was hard, right? I mean, it was hard. And, you know, uh, in, in the, at the risk of being really vulnerable, that was not a, not a, not an easy time for me personally. And, you know, for my daughter to see that and for my, my parents who live in Lebanon to see that, I just, you know, for me, it was, it just, it wasn't a fun moment in my life. And so, you know, I've worked really hard to kind of come back from that. And so I think it wasn't necessarily the, the words per se, Mm -hmm. but it really was kind of the moment for me that was just like, all right, you know what, a few years after that happened, you know, I worked hard and, you know, and, and here I am. And so I think that that's more what it was for me than, than, than specific words. Yeah. Well, you're in a very big role now internally and externally, but that decision of Toys R Us to me is one of the more interesting decisions you have made in your life. So I want to come back to that a little bit okay. later in the podcast. So I've got a lot to say about that. Yeah. Okay. Super. <laughs> Before we get too much further into this, this podcast is a first. You are the second member of your family to be interviewed by me. We released your husband, Tarek's podcast, in July. He, of course, is the CMO at Petco. And our viewers, our listeners can't hear this, but you have a beautiful dog taking a nap (laughs) behind you on this Zoom. So if the dog starts to make some noise, just bring him in. 
No yeah, worries. Forgive, forgive me if he does, I guess. <laughs> so did you listen to your husband's podcast? I did. I thought he did a really nice job. You know, it's funny, Jim. I don't know if you, uh, well, you did. Got, you guys did have a little bit of a conversation about this. You know, we tend not, we have in our entire career tended not to talk about, you know, the fact that we're married. And in fact, I would tell you that there are so many people, even today, that will, will hear me, you know, mention my husband's name, not saying who he is, and and we'll, we'll, we'll say, wait a minute, what, that Tarek is your husband? Hold on a second. So we've been pretty deliberate about not, you know, not, um, not sort of Mm -hmm. being public about it, but I do, you know, we follow each other and we do, we do love to hear what each other say. And and so I thought that was actually a really, I thought he did a really nice job. I thought you extracted some beautiful things from him. Did you learn anything about him that you didn't know in the podcast? I mean, it's a high bar. (laughs) Listen, 17 years later, I'm not sure. (laughs) No, you know, I I have always admired him for how thoughtful he is and how strategic he is. And he's got this ability to take more than anybody I know, to take like 16 things and just kind of crystallize them into one, you know, one beautiful sort of phrase. I think, you know, more than did I learn something about him, I just, I I really enjoyed hearing him kind of synthesize his thoughts um, because I just hadn't heard it in a work setting, you know, so it was really nice. Did he have any advice for you about this podcast? He just said to to like just have fun. He said, you know, he said, you know, Jim. He said, just you know, hang out, like just be totally normal. (laughs) We will do that, and we're doing it. So, so listen, let's talk for a moment about life in the pandemic. Right, we're seven or eight months into it. I have to ask you: you had coronavirus early in this. Any reflections about your leadership coming out of that? It's a it's a moment of extreme vulnerability. So are you different as a leader and how you think about your people and your life and how you spend your time coming out of oh, the experience? There's there's no doubt about it. And, you know, Jim, I've had so many experiences like that with our daughter's illness and and certainly this, um, the, the coronavirus, um, certainly what happened at Toys R Us. I mean, I think, you know, low, low points. Um, yeah, there's many. I think for me, I always try to lead with empathy. I talk a lot about empathy and its role in leadership and how it's probably the most undervalued trait I think some leaders have. Have, um, gaining in popularity, uh, certainly during this time. But but for me, it was really, really, I mean, when I when that happened to me, um, it, it I, I literally was like, okay, stop and think about everybody else. There might be other people that have that have the disease or that have the virus and, and they don't want to talk about it. They might be afraid to talk about it. I was afraid. I was afraid to tell anybody that I had it. Um, and so I think that, yeah, it definitely changes you because it put it, it, it makes you put yourself in other people's shoes. You don't know what people are going through. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so you become a lot more empathetic from yeah, that perspective. Yeah. Now, listen, one last question about the pandemic before we jump into your life and career. Uh, you're in financial services. You've been there a few years now, I think two years ish. Two years. Yeah. Um, you know, what do you think will be the lasting implications of this health, economic, social crisis that we're all trying to do our best through? What, what do you think will change the industry? What, what biggest shift do you think will be permanent? Uh, that's a very good question. I, I see two things, actually. Um, one, I see um, technology and innovation playing a significant role um, verse, from, from a speed standpoint. You know, there, there are things, and you know, you've heard so many CMOs talk about this, right? But so many things that would take months, if not years sometimes, to actually pass through, whether it was internal regulations or external law, whatever it is, right? All these kind of parameters we put around ourselves um, 
And yet when we had to, when push came to shove, we just said, all right, hold on. How do we get that technology put in place? How do we make sure that we put all the right regulations around it and compliance pieces around it? And let's just go. And I think the speed at which we are doing things, by the way, even just from a creative standpoint, you want to talk about like creative product going out in less than 48 hours versus you know, in some cases, my gosh, in my career, sometimes it took me a year to put out a new positioning brand campaign, you know, and so back, back in the day. So I think the speed at which we are adopting to innovation and technology, I actually think will change in financial services. Look, there's no there's no doubt about it that the pandemic, I think, has um, further exacerbated the the sort of haves and have nots or the issue with the haves and have nots. And I think, you know, the racial wealth gap, I think, is a really, really, really big problem. It always has been. But now there's a spotlight being shined on it. And I think that that will uh, really change this industry. I think that the the, the players who are going to get it right are going to be folks that really kind of say, what is our role in changing community and changing society for the better? And I think you're going to see that um, in financial services pretty acutely. And, and by the way, I think you'll see it everywhere, Jim. I think everyone has a role to play in what kind of a community do we want to leave as companies and as brands moving forward. It'll become yeah. much more important. Yeah. I want to talk about City and your expanded role. Uh, this, this just was announced. And you've been there two years, came in as the chief brand officer. You're now the chief marketing officer. Yeah. And in part, you did this to merge the marketing and branding functions. So I have that about right? You do. So far. Okay. You have that very so right. <laughs> I, I'm curious about how you define branding and marketing and why they were different. And now they are brought into one. So could you you know, talk to me a little bit about what this change was about, why you made the choices that you had made, why you made different ones to integrate this under you? Well, I mean, honestly, how much time do you have? This is probably <laughs> one of my... Well, I think um, it's interesting, right? Because I think branding and marketing, in my mind, are, are kind of the same thing. I mean, from your mouth to whoever's ears. I have been talking about this for years, right? So if you, I mean, the reality is, um, you know, very, very well in our industry, in our craft, there has been over the past, you know, five to six years, as we have been the beneficiary of new technology and first party data and all that stuff, um, all those tools, not all that stuff, all those mm -hmm. tools, yeah. um, there has been a shift to only talking about this coined phrase of performance marketing as if, you know, as if some, some parts of the business, right, or the tools that we use drive performance and other parts of marketing tools don't. And, and so there's been this bifurcation between performance marketing and brand marketing, which I have never understood. I've never understood. And so for me, you know, you go by what does the business, what are the business objectives? What are the KPIs, right? So what do we have to deliver in a given year? And if in a given year we have to deliver, you know, X, Y, Z, well, then what are the best marketing tools to deliver against X, Y, Z? Some of those may be more leaning towards telling a story, right? And then using technology to place the story in, in the best kind of channels, maybe even multiple pieces of content to tell the story, but a little bit differently depending on who you're talking to and depending on the channel. And then there's going to be other tools that based on the objectives are going to be much more, um, you know, direct to a consumer 
via an email or using search or affiliate, whatever. But to me, they're all in service of growth and driving revenue. So I've never understood the bifurcation of the two. And by the way, sending an email or uh, doing that without a brand voice, that doesn't make any sense, right? Then it becomes a commodity. Everyone can, you know, if they have the money, can build the technology. So for me, it was really, really important to uh, to talk to, to to our senior leadership about bringing these two things together because I I think they're one and the same in the sense that they all fit under the umbrella of marketing. And marketing's role is to drive business through yeah. building the brand and through driving growth. Period. They're just tools we have. So you advocated for this change over the last two years. And that, that's, you know, I've, I've advocated for change in big companies myself. It's not easy. So this is, you've integrated, simplified two different disciplines that were under the branding and marketing umbrella. So yeah. what lessons do you have and how you did that? How did you compel the company to take that move? So look, I was very lucky that I had senior leaders that understood the the benefit of putting these things together. And so from my perspective, it it wasn't necessarily... Um, look, it was challenging. There's no doubt about it. Anytime you do that, anytime you're bringing multiple organizations together globally, right? People have points of view. I think the biggest thing for me is, again, I'm going to use the word empathy and, and maybe in a, maybe in a, a weird way, but if you, if you look at the definition of empathy, it's literally being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Right. And so from my perspective, I figured out very quickly, like, who are the people that we need to talk to? Who are the people that we might need to convince? And then what's the story we need to tell them in their own language, right? And so from that perspective, it became less of a challenge and more of a an opportunity to say, here's what we can get out of bringing the two things together. But, you know, very different people coming from very different places, you know, maybe the, the president of a division or an operator you speak to very differently than a functional head, right? Um, in, in some cases, and depending on where people are coming from. So for me, it was just more about putting myself in someone in their shoes, understanding what would be the best story for them, and then and then telling the story. And Look, we didn't always agree. I mean, we've been talking about this for a while and, you know, we didn't, we didn't always agree. So I think, you know, it's, um, but, but we ultimately netted out in a place where, you know, I think the organization is going to be better off. And that to me was the biggest thing is, can we, can we create the, the right um, organization for the firm, right? What does, what's marketing's role vis-a-vis city and how we can drive the business and how we can grow the business. And that was probably the most important for me. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. So now you made this change during the pandemic, and now you have the big job of CMO. So tell us about your work. So what does Carla do? How do you spend your time? What's important to you? What are your priorities? What's a week in the life of Carla look like? What are your KPIs? So (laughs) so kind of 
take the curtain back and yeah. tell us what you do as CEO well, of City. Look, uh, right now, uh, what I'm doing is really trying to figure out how to make sure I uh, unify these organizations. Um, really, that's the majority of my, and I'm spending a lot of time listening uh, to what everyone is talking about and, you know, what everybody does. And so I can really, really, truly understand sort of um, how to, how to, how to best structure this global organization, this full um, global and regional organization. Um, but look, I think on a day-to-day basis, when all of that settles, uh, it really is, you know, it, it's, it's marketing as, as we know it today. It's all the elements of marketing. So I'll spend a lot of time talking about the, the vision and the purpose for, for the brand. What do we want to be? Um, and, you know, it's a little complicated at City because you've got, you know, the enterprise brand, certainly, but then you also have the consumer brands that are very strong and, and you know, have their own sort of personalities, if you will, and strengths across the world. And then you've also got the the institutional side of the business, which which does, does a lot um, and, and carries a lot of weight in our organization. So I think, you know, for me, it really becomes a lot of the work will be done around what is the purpose? What is the vision? What is the positioning of the brand as we look forward? So we've got a really strong mission at City. But my question is, what does that mission mean today, particularly post-COVID? What does it mean? What does it look like? Um, what, what, how do consumers feel about it? How do our own clients feel about it? So I'll spend a lot of time on that. A lot of time on technology and data and the role that it plays. Do we have the right platforms? Do we have the right partners? Um, can we uh, globalize that, right? What, what platforms are global? What platforms are going to be more local? So there's going to be a lot of sort of the, the technology and data pillar, as you can imagine, will play a tremendous amount of, uh, uh, will take a tremendous amount of time uh, from my perspective, building the right team. I, I I do believe that, you know, the the team that I will, you know, put together right now is is 1.0. I mean, teams are as fluid as the businesses, right? And so um, I keep t- saying this to my entire new team. I'm like, you got to be, you got to be, you know, you got to, we got to be flexible because you just never know when we're going to have to go, oh, we need more resources here. Let's, you know, switch that up. So I would say, you know, what, what does this brand stand for and all of that so that I could, we can direct the teams in a way to, to go tell the, the stories, to go do the marketing, really understanding data and technology um, and what, where we are today and where we need to be in the future. The team will be really, really important. And those are kind of, I think, three, you know, there are so many double and triple mm-hmm. clicks underneath that, as you can imagine, Jim, but I would tell you that those are probably the three that I'll focus most of my efforts on. You talked about your purpose, your mission, and, and talking about that, to sharing the story, so on and so forth. You spent 13 years, I think, at Pepsi. I did. Right. A, good, a firm that's pretty good at purpose and differentiation, right? Yes. A core job of the CMO is to work with the team to build a company that is different, hopefully unique in its products, its services, its culture, its character. Right. In Pepsi, it's hard. But I would think in financial services, it's really hard. And maybe that's the wrong assumption. So I'd like you to speak a little bit about what you're learning. I know you're only two years there. But in building a a really relevant, meaningful, distinct brand company in financial services and how that might be different or similar to your experience at Pepsi and even Kellogg's. Yeah. Look, I think it's very hard everywhere, um, to be honest. I, I think that, you know, anybody who would tell you that, you know, they'll wake up one morning and say, oh, here it is. It's great. I wrote it, you know, while I was 
in the shower. Um, maybe, maybe lucky them. I want to know them. Um, but you're right in a, in a, in a firm that is as large as city, um, you, you need, you know, there's so many different people, so many different constituents to satisfy, you know, here's what I would tell you. I think for me, what I have learned, but quite frankly, both not just from city, but also from my time, um, at PepsiCo working under the, the incomparable Indra Nui as the CEO, um, you know, the most important thing for me as we're looking at what do these brands stand for and the purpose, et cetera, is what are the values of the company and how, no matter what we articulate, that it just needs to be consistent and authentic to the values of the company. And that to me has, has, is probably the biggest learning. Um, financial services is a totally different animal. I mean, even the way that, you know, we talk about um, brand reputation versus brand love, right? I mean, there's a reason for that, right? Yeah, and um, but it but it still is the same sentiment in the sense that people care deeply about what is said about the brand and people care deeply about what is felt about the brand. There's different language around that, obviously, um, uh, in in the consumer packaged goods world versus the financial services world. But I, I think the the most success, like where I've seen the most success, is where you're true to the values of the company. And then I would actually say the other piece that I've learned in both, and both are similar this way, is that the top of the organization has to believe it. And, and not just say it, but like truly, truly believe it. Be able to stick their necks out there and say things and do things and act on things that may not be popular, right? That may not be popular, but they're the right things to do. I mean, I'll, I'll give you, um, a small example. It, it ends, it's not a small example, but it's a, um, pay equity. So there's so much discussion around pay equity and about even women getting equal pay and, Gosh, what was it now? Maybe in, in January of 2019, um, our CEO, Mike Corbett, was in Davos and was having this, you know, conversation. And we had just released the raw um, pay data for City. And so, you know, and it was not good, not good. Um, now, men and women got paid pretty much 99 cents to the dollar. And, and, and we made a statement and a commitment the year before that, you know what? it's going to be a dollar to a dollar and people are going to be corrected. That's wonderful. Same role, man, woman. Wonderful. But what the data showed was that actually the, the median number between men and women, women were getting paid almost 30% less than men. Why? Because there weren't as many women in higher paying positions, right? And in executive positions and higher paying roles. And so we, we came out with that publicly and, you know, and that's a, that's a commitment, to come out with that publicly, right? To, to, to have your CEO say, that data is not good. In fact, he said the numbers are ugly. And so to have the, the top of your, of your house say the numbers are ugly and we're going to fix it, I think is absolutely necessary for, to drive that kind of change and to drive a culture that is, that, 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 that sees at the very top of the organization, they believe in it. It's like when Indra Nui did performance with purpose. When she first came up and said, you know, PepsiCo is going to be about performance with purpose. And at first people were like, what does that really mean? But she lived it through every single thing she did. So I just think that, you know, um, those are probably the biggest learnings for me. Authentic to your values and from yeah. the very top of the organization. Yeah. Well, let's stay on that. You're talking about City. I mean, you, they, you, your company has just promoted to high-level women, yourself and Jane. Uh, you took that public statement about gender pay. Your half of your board is now women. 
you've been very specific and honest and transparent, and you're now launching uh, Cities Action for Racial Equity. So of all of these things, Carla, I know you're passionate about all of these issues and passionate to build a culture that is inclusive, diverse in every way. So where are you focusing now in this area? And how do you make choices about how you spend your time to help in this really, really, really important area that city is is trying to really, I think, stand out and be a leader? Yeah. So look, um, I, th- I think for me, uh, I am very passionate on the on the female uh, equity uh, uh, conversation, very passionate about it, partially because, you know, I have a daughter and I see, you know, if I can leave a legacy where I can help her and I can leave the world a better place, the business world a better place because of her, I'm going to use my voice. I'm going to use the platform I have. And so, but I also deeply deeply believe in it. I have since I was a child when my father, I'm the second, uh, the second child of four. And my father would always say, you know, girls can do anything that boys can do. He would take me to the office with him instead of taking my brothers to the office with him. And so, you know, for me, I just, I never felt like I couldn't uh, do it because I, I had my my father supporting me. So for me, it's always been a, a passion point. And I think um, it will it will continue to be a passion point, particularly at City. Uh, and I will lend my voice to that wherever I can. On the racial equity piece, it is critical for me. Um, and I think, you know, with uh, with the, the, the killing of George Floyd uh, several months ago now, I've always been very passionate about the about the, the, the inequality uh, from a racial standpoint. And, and uh, it's just, uh, I mean, I can't even barely get the words out because I just, you know, I, I sometimes I get so angry. Um, and now I have, I'm fortunate enough to be working at a firm that also believes that this this inequality needs to be, we need to do our part in erasing the inequality. And so those probably are the two areas that you'll see me focus the most on personally. There are so many other things that we that we talk about at City, whether it's you know support for the LGBTQ plus community or whether it's um, all of our environmental sustainability goals that we just announced actually uh, several months or about a month or so ago. Um, you know, there's 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 so much we do all cons- commercial firearms policy that we announced a couple years ago, several years ago. So there's so much that we do, but I think I'm focusing on the places where I think we can make the the single biggest impact. And for me personally, from a marketing standpoint, telling the brand stories, I think we really can make an impact on the female equity and then also on on the racial equity side. So uh, as we have listeners who are taking all this in, you know, what lessons could you share with leadership teams of other companies that are of similar size and scale. You've made progress in these areas. You have a lot more to do, but you've made progress. What what lessons would you share for other leadership teams to make the progress you have made? I would say lead from the top. Um, that's number one, is really show your commitment to leading from the top. The other is, I would say, don't make this a separate part of your uh, your company. And what I mean by that is it's not necessarily just a CSR initiative. This should actually, you should be using your balance sheets to do good. 
um, and to, to take a phrase from my current, my current boss. Um, but I, I think it's so true, right? And at City, that's what we try to do. We try to use our business to do good as opposed to, in, in addition to, excuse me, in addition to all the great work that we're doing on the community side. So for example, even in the racial equity announcement, you know, we had certainly, you know, heard all the, the, the calls for racial justice around the country. And it was clear to us, like everybody else, that more of the same wasn't going to, wasn't going to be okay. Um, and so, but what we didn't want to do is just put words on a paper, right? We wanted to really make sure that we, whatever we did resulted in, in tangible action. And so for us, um, you know, we, we, we announced more than a billion dollars in strategic initiatives that are going to help us close the racial wealth gap and, and, and more importantly, increase, um, increase economic mobility in the United States. And that is really, really important. And so, but, but we do that by, you know, making sure that representation uh, internally and externally with our partners is, is, is where it needs to be. We do that by making sure that our business is actually doing the right thing in terms of making sure that, you know, we're closing the gap in terms of how many, you know, African-American families own homes. So uh, by supporting black owned businesses, through our business. So I would say that, you know, from the very top of the organization, be committed to it. But more importantly than that, the biggest lesson I would tell you is it just has to be a part of the business. Otherwise, systemic change won't happen. Yeah. I love that. Use our balance sheet to do good. I mean, it just- Isn't it great? It says it all. It says it all. Integrate it with the business. Make this part of your business. Make this part of how you do business and how Absolutely. you lead. That's Absolutely. I love it. I, I have it. to tell him that I stole it from him and used it here. <laughs> right. And I love it. Stengel loves it. He's going to use it again. <laughs> I'm going to tell him that. <laughs> it's already spreading. So listen, I want to take a moment to flash back in your career. You just talked a bit about being the second child and your father's support. When did you know you wanted a career in business versus whatever, law, medicine, philanthropy? <laughs> and, and when did you know you wanted a career in marketing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to tell you the funniest story. I don't know that I've ever told anyone outside my family this. So my, my dad owned his own company. He was a civil engineer. Um, I grew up in Dubai and, um, he basically laid the foundation like sewer systems and like roads or whatever for three out of the seven Emirates in the United Arab Emirates. And so we would go to his dig sites and, you know, I would go to his office and all that. And I was always intrigued because he was always like signing something. He was always signing something. So <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is really interesting. So um, one day I walked into my parents' room and there was this, I didn't know what it was. It was like a checkbook, clearly, but I had no clue what it was, right? And I was like, oh, what is this? And, you know, pay to the order of and blah, blah, blah. And I, I, I left it the pay to the order of blank and I would put like $1 million and I would, you know, sign my dad's name. I figured out how to sign his name. I, yeah, I can't even. I, I oh, this could have, this is going to end badly. <laughs> and I would always play like business. I would always pretend I was him. I would always be like bossing my sister around, telling her to go, you know, and I feel like maybe from an early age, that's right. I knew that I wanted to do that, but I really enjoyed this idea of like, you have an office and you have a business and you know, you, you write checks. I don't even know. Um, and so I think really early on, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And it was more about emulating him than anything else, quite frankly, but, um, he enjoyed it. He loved it. We had a really good life. And so I thought, you know, why not? And then, did you, did you have a little briefcase, a little play briefcase, or play backpack? <laughs> I had it all. My kids and had I, that. 
I had it all and I had like pens and pencils in my little pencil case. I mean, I literally thought I ran his company or my own company or whatever it was. Anyways, um, and then I, if you fast forward to grad school, I, I, I started taking, um, I, I started taking marketing courses and I was like, this is really interesting. You know, this is kind of, it's kind of like psychology. Like you get to actually listen to what people want and then you do stuff, you, you, come up with stuff that they will buy as a result of that. I was like, mm, that's pretty cool. And then I took a class and I thought that or that marketing was advertising. And I thought, oh, you can make ads. Okay, that's pretty cool. So I really had actually no clue. Um, and I was just this wide-eyed kind of maybe enthusiastic, whatever, character. And I met, um, the, Kellogg's was recruiting mm -hmm. uh, on campus. And so I, I did an internship there and I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked after my internship was supposed to be three months. I ended up staying six months to finish the internship and I got an offer with them and then went and worked for them. But I was hooked because I just, I, I, I realized that marketing was so much more than what I thought it was, uh, that I had so much fun doing it. Like I just loved it. Like I deeply enjoyed it and I would see the results. So what was the hook at Kellogg's? I mean, how did you know? Was it an assignment, a leader, a brand, the quality of the work, the team? What was it? It was an assignment, actually. Um, I have to say it was one of my first assignments. It was, um, I, I mean, you'll appreciate this coming from the world you came from, but I, um, I was the assistant brand manager on Rice Krispie Streets. And for the first time ever, Rice Krispie Streets was launching uh, flavors. And I was like, oh my God, I get to launch peanut butter chocolatey Rice Krispies treats and chocolate Rice Krispies treats. Holy moly. I mean, my mind was blown away. I thought I was so cool. I thought I was, it was awesome because I got to do everything from learn the product development side and learn how to work with that function that was totally different than I was, all the way to, you know, we made this really fun ad to launch it and drive awareness of it. And then you would go to the store and you would see it on the shelves and, oh my gosh, you know, so it was, that was really a pivotal moment for me where I, I thought I could hear what consumers say. I could see a gap in the market. I could create something with, a, along with a whole bunch of other people. And then we collectively could make something, tell people about it, put it on a shelf and people would buy it. Holy smokes. It was so cool. That's pretty much the work of marketing, what you just yeah, described. Right? <laughs> I mean, it, it blew my mind. And, it, and I did that in like, you know, a year. And so I thought, wow, can you imagine like if you can really, really give people what they want, like really listen to them and give them what they want. That could be so powerful. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. So you, were, you went back to Kellogg's full-time, seven years there. And then 13 years at PepsiCo. So 20 years at two schools of marketing, right? Two yes. of the best in the world at what they do. So what principles, Carla, from that 20 years are ingrained in you 
in terms of how you approach culture, brands, marketing, organizations? Uh, listen, 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 number one. Um, and put the consumer at the heart of it. We were not good at doing it all the time, but man, when we did it well, it was magic. And so, you know, really, really listen and not on a superficial level, but like inherently, like, what are they really saying? If someone tells you like something at the surface, what are they really saying? And there's magic in that when you can actually figure that out. There's real, there's real beauty in that. But listening to the consumer and putting the consumer at the heart of everything was one thing I learned there. The other is know the business cold. Like understand what the role of marketing is. And look, I was fortunate, as were you, that we grew up in marketing organizations where or in organizations where marketing was at the heart of the organization mm -hmm. and people really, really believed in it. So we never even we never had to fight for the the right for marketing to exist at a table. Right. But but what we did have to do is make sure that when you sat at the table, that you actually drove value from sitting at the table and drove growth. And so for me, I learned that you only do that by knowing the business cold. That's it. Understand every intricacy. I mean, I, I knew the ramifications of, I learned the ramifications of peanut butter in a Rice Krispie treat and how it would slow down a line because they would have to clean the little nooks and crannies. I mean, you have to understand that because if you know that as a marketer, then when you ask for something from some other function, you know what the implications are to them and they know that you respect that. So for me, understanding the business cold, absolutely listening. And then the other thing is really learning how to manage a matrix organization. You know, there were, you know, these companies, Kellogg's and PepsiCo and P&G and City even, right, where I am today, not, not consumer packaged goods, but matrixed organizations. By the way, whether they're large or small, I think all, all organizations really today are matrixed. And you've got to understand how to get stuff done in that environment. And that takes a lot of patience. That takes a lot of empathy um, and uh, and it takes a lot of understanding, like I said, of the business. So I would say those are probably the, the three big key things that I learned is is, uh, is 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 drive value out of marketing. Yeah. Like make it make it add value to a company. Yeah, I was told early on when I was at PNG that the power in the company is not your rank, where you went to school, how high you up, it's your knowledge and your expertise and your depth of understanding. And yeah. those who are uh, best at that are the ones that will do better. Yeah. The ones that will rise up in the organization. And it is absolutely right, you know, and, and uh, so knowledge, understanding the business in every possible way. And that never gets stale, right? No, it's, not it's, at all. It's evergreen. That's why the function. And I think the discipline right. is so much fun. You, you were 20 years in these two incredible companies. Uh, you left in 2017 after 13 years of Pepsi to be CMO of Toys R Us. And we all know that brand, <laughs> but that was the same year they declared Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Yeah. So there's got to be a story here with all sorts of insights and lessons. So in a brief way, can you tell us why you made that decision and what you learned in that interesting ordeal? Yeah. Look, um, Here's the deal. You know, I, I'm an immigrant and um, most immigrants who come to the U.S. Uh, want nothing but to succeed, to be able to, you know, go back 
to their homelands or, you know, make mostly make their parents proud, quite frankly, no matter how old I get, that'll be one of my biggest uh, uh, achievements um, or aspirations. Um, and so I was really safe, always really safe. You know, I, I worked for Kellogg's and, you know, and then I went to PepsiCo and it was great. And I went around the world with PepsiCo, you know, and, um, but for me, I was like, you know, I've just, I feel like I played it safe. I, I'm literally the perfect, you know, immigrant American story, right? Like you come, you do well, you did it. And I thought, so that was one thing that had been kind of in my head, like, are you ever going to take a risk? I mean, I had been asked during the dot-com, you know, uh, early, early stages of dot-com, people who had left other companies would say, come do this with us. And I was like, no, 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 no. I can't take a risk. I'm not going to take a risk. Um, so there, it was in my head. I was like, are you ever going to take a risk? Like, are you really ever going to take a real risk? That was number one. Number two was I was looking out at the, uh, we had talked about this before, this notion of like performance marketing and brand marketing. And I was looking out at the conversation that was going on in the, in the marketing industry zeitgeist. And there was so much conversation going on about performance marketing. And yet when I looked at what was happening at PepsiCo at the time, I think they've done a significant job uh, uh, since then. But I was, I was like, you know, I'm just not sure that I'm going to get that skill here. And I had dabbled in some of it um, when I was on Gatorade. We had created this thing called Mission Control that was all about social listening. So we had done some stuff there. I'd done some stuff in Dubai around performance marketing that was really, really exciting, but nothing that I could tell you that I was like an expert at or that I knew about. And so this, these two things were kind of in my head, you know, like if you want to be that marketing unicorn that has both, you know, one side and the other, you've got to, you, you might have to go somewhere else. But I, I had a really hard time because, like you said, I grew up there and I really loved PepsiCo. And in my darkest personal hour when our daughter was sick, PepsiCo, Indra and, and, and my, my boss at the time, Brad Jakeman, were so good to me that I just had such a I couldn't I, I had a very hard time thinking about even leaving. And then right at the same time, I met um, I met the, the the CEO at the time of, of Toys R Us, and he, you know, he 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 talked to me about wanting to transform retail and particularly transform Toys R Us as he had done with Domino's years before. And so I felt like you know what, now was the moment. Now was the moment because I'd be able to see if I could do this on my own. I was going to be in the room where it happened, Jim. Right? Mm-hmm. I was one of ten people sitting around that executive leadership team. Um, so I was going to know what it was like to run a company. I was going to be the number one marketer. Could I, I'd always been the number two. Could I do this on my own? Um, you know, could I take a risk and really kind of jump in? And then the third was what skill sets would I gain in that moment from a marketing standpoint that would allow me to be set up for the future? So those, those things kind of all came together and, you know, sound good. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Yeah. And I right? would have done the same thing. Absolutely. <laughs> You know, and uh, it didn't work out, right? In terms of it didn't work out in terms of the business didn't work out. But boy, oh boy, was that the best masterclass in leadership, in marketing for me in the year and a half that I was, little less than a year and a half that I was there. It was unbelievable. You know, I, I, I learned so, so much about who I want to be, who I don't want to be, um, how I want to behave uh, as a marketer, as a leader, um, the kinds of things that drive business, the kind of things that don't really. Um, and and I wouldn't, I wouldn't take, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it. Now, why did you decide when you left Toys R Us that City was the place for you? I mean, that was a jump into a new industry, a complicated industry, a regulated industry. 
an industry where marketing is not always front and center as it is in Pepsi and Kellogg's and in the best days at Toys R Us? Yeah. You know, I, uh, it's a very good question. I, I, w- I think I was going through such a stage in my life. Actually, before I went to, before I chose to go to City, I had actually um, consulted for three months at Global Citizen. And um, I just felt like I wanted, it was at the moment in my life where I was just questioning a lot of stuff. Like, what do I want to do? You know, what do I want to do? How do I want to impact? How do I want to give back? And I had an amazing three months at Global Citizen. And what that really taught me is that no matter where I go next, I had to go to somewhere whose values aligned with mine and where I really believed in the mission of the company. And so that was kind of table stakes for me. And as I looked across the opportunities that I had, and I was very fortunate and privileged to have enough opportunities that I could, you know, go, wait, that one versus this one. Um, That doesn't happen for everybody. I I fully recognize that. Um, But I would tell you that as I was doing that, I really... um, I started to learn more about this company and more about the values of the company. And I was surprised that I hadn't heard any of the stories, you know, the, 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 the things that were so important to city were also important to me personally. And I was surprised that, that, that I hadn't heard of them because I consider myself, you know, someone who, who, who pays attention to this stuff. And so when that role came up, it was very interesting. And after I met with the senior leadership of the company, I thought, okay, you know what, here's an opportunity to really take the the amazing things that this company has done and the stands it's taken and to humanize it on a totally different level, to give it a little bit of soul and to show it in a totally different light. And I am so proud of the team um, that I have that has really kind of come through on that. You know, they believe in that. And some of the work that we've done, I, I hope demonstrates that, that demonstrates the humanity, demonstrates the soul that this company has. And that's kind of ultimately why I chose it. It, it really aligned with, with, with my values. And I, I saw a lot of opportunity. Now we're going to end this podcast with my favorite section where we get to know you better as a person and as a leader. And the first question is a good one. You've said your biggest hero in life is your mom. So yeah. Tell us why. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, can we cry on podcast? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, um, she is such a, so my mom never worked outside of the home. My mom took care of four of us. Um, but, you know, she, and she went through her own medical issues and all that. But throughout, like, she, she's just the fiercest supporter of her family um, and always put them first and had really, really taught me the, that. Um, and I, I feel I feel very fortunate to have her as um, as that person that has kind of taught me all pretty much everything I know from that perspective. Um, she's a quiet leader. So, you know, most people would think, oh, because she didn't work outside of it, but she really runs this house, you know, and as we grew up and, and I think there's something really interesting about watching somebody who isn't the person that everyone's quote unquote chosen to lead actually lead. And so, you know, she really, really taught me what it, what, what that, what that means to be the silent, you know, but really kind of impactful person whether it's in, in family or whether it's in, in business. So, and, and she's so graceful. Oh my gosh, everything is grace about my mom. And so for me, um, there's so much more, uh, but that's mm-hmm. really, those are, those are really the, the big things that come to mind. Beautifully said, Carla. What's a brand that you would really miss today if it went away? Bounty. Bounty, oh good. Seriously? Yeah, isn't that the truth? 
Listen, I have this argument all the time with anybody. There is no better paper towel in the world, period. That's why it's number one. Period. Yeah, yeah. It's a great PNG brand, by the way, for the listeners, but I'm sure you know that. Your husband would have predicted you, you would have said Instagram. So maybe that's number two. Really? Instagram? Yeah. No, he's right. He's right. I, I'm a big Instagram fan. He's right. right. Wow, he went tech on me. No, I'm like totally lo-fi on what I would miss. It's bounty. PNG will be happy to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> it is definitely bounty. So beyond your mom, who is the most inspirational person in your life? You've talked about your daughter a few times. It may be her. Yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah, you're guessing. Yeah. I feel like um, yeah. You know, when something like that happens in your life. Uh, you know, we almost saw that little one, you know, not be with us. And so she, so she had cancer as a child, correct? She did. She had cancer as a child, uh, when she was four and, uh, she's 13 now. So, so she's around and healthy and independent and doing exactly what you would, you know, what a 13 year old does. But, um, the way she tackled that and then subsequently the way she tackles every other thing in her life. She's starting to get much more aware of what happened to her. She wasn't before, but now that she is, she's really understanding, wow, like I almost lost my life here. And so she lives her life with such urgency. Uh, I hope she never, ever loses that. But she teaches me every single day, literally every single day, just how she tackles issues, even her something as mundane as her homework or, you know, like just the way she t solves problems and how she asks questions and all that. I, I just I learned by 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 just watching her. I'm I'm definitely in, in awe of her. And uh, yeah, I wish it was uh, I wish I could tell you it was someone more famous or anything like that. But she really is an inspiration. And you had nice quality time with her, right? <laughs> the last yeah. seven or eight months. I, I what, asked her. One of the, the silver linings. In this. <laughs> I asked her the other day, Nora, why don't you come in here and sit with me and Papa? You know, and she was like, why would I, why would I do that? And I said, well, I mean, we, we just want to see how your day went. And she goes, well, you know how my day went. She said, you're here with me <laughs> all day, every day. You know exactly how my days are going. And I thought, okay, it's time to let her hang out by herself for a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. We've had Has there been a time. favorite thing you've done with your daughter in these times? Is it walks or is um, it reading or movies? Or? You know what? But walks and movies, walk, yeah. it's amazing, right? When when the kids have nothing really else to do. We're pretty close family anyway, but um, those walks have been priceless, right? Like sometimes in, you know, the evening walks have been really great. She opens up, she talks. And, you know, as a parent with 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 teenagers, right? What more do you want? You just want them to, to, to hang out with you, knowing that you've got to let them go at some point. And so those have been really good. And movies, she's a, a huge movie buff, just like my husband. And so, you know, we're watching a lot of movies together. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. It's been really we laugh. Oh my gosh, Jim, we laugh a lot. We're so goofy and so silly. Um, TikToks are big in our family, so she and I, and every once in a while we'll drag Tarek in to do a TikTok. But we're big on TikTok. <laughs> Silliness is underrated, right? Yeah, it really is. It really yeah. is. Yeah. So, who would you like to listen to that you haven't heard? Have you done one with Antonio yet? Uh, he's committed to do it. We need to get that done now that he has a little more free time. Perhaps. I know. Antonio Luzzo, the who just left C uh, the CMO job at Facebook. 
Uh, Antonio Lucio is like the chairman of my personal board of directors. So I would love to hear him speak. I actually think he is um, just so profoundly uh, uh, great as a, not just even as a leader or a marketer, but more even as a human. He just has so many nuggets. There's not a time that I don't listen to him that I don't go, oh my gosh, I just, I didn't think about it that way. And so I just feel like he probably would be the person that I really want to hear from. We'll put that on the top of the list, and he'll do cool. it. He's already committed to do it, so Yay. we'll just have Good. to get it scheduled. Good. It was a beautiful discussion. Carla, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. We'll talk to you soon. That was my conversation with Carla Hassan. This interview was so rich with stories, inspiring stories. The way Carla spoke about her mom as the most inspiring figure in her life, the way she talked about her daughter, the way she talked about gender equality at City and everything they're doing to reduce the pay gap and taking on other initiatives as well. And then finally, the way she talked about her experience at Toys R Us, where she was CMO when they declared bankruptcy, and everything she learned about that, about vulnerability, leadership, team, mission, purpose. It didn't end well, but it was a pivotal assignment in Carla's development. And finally, thanks to Carla and to her husband, Tarek. This is the first couple that has been interviewed on the CMO podcast, and they were both wonderful full of inspiration, full of lessons, full of love. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.